evening to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to read together verses 153 through verse 160. Again, give careful attention. This is the Word of God. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Amen. If you're being honest this evening, an assessment of the Christian life recognizes that indeed there are good days and there are bad days. There are hills and there are valleys. But we cannot experience the mountaintops without climbing the mountain. The psalmist has walked many times in this chapter that we have sought to go through. And after tonight, there are only two more stanzas left. And each time that we have looked at Psalm 119, the psalmist has pictured and helped us to show us how he has walked, how he has labored through the valleys of much affliction. He has climbed the mountains. There are times when he was at those mountain tops. But he was in those valleys and, as it were, climbing over persecutors, climbing over adversities, climbing over the faithless. And each time that we have read in Psalm 119, he has reminded us something that is of utmost importance. He's told us about God. He has discovered the life that only God and God alone can give. He discovered that the Lord faithfully gives life. And he revives life according to his promises, his word, and his faithful love. Psalm 119 is one of those chapters in the Bible that indeed all of the word of God is gold nuggets but there are some that are particularly special to Christians. This evening, if you have walked in through those doors and you perhaps are in a valley, a deep, dark, lonely valley that you may think, stop, ponder, assess, and see your God. 
see him in all of his glory. Three times, not once, not twice, but three times in this prayer that the psalmist cries unto God, he says, give me life. 154, 156, and 159. The psalmist knows and the psalmist believes that only God can hear, answer, and help him in his time of need. He doesn't go on Twitter and ask for help. He doesn't go on Instagram and show the world how bad things are for him. He doesn't even text his friends to say, hey, I'm in trouble. No. He goes to his God. He goes to our God this evening. Be reminded, dear saint, this evening that the God of Psalm 119 is your God. It's not like he's disappeared and gone away. No. In those dark, deep valleys, God is the giver of life. It is God who is always ready and willing to hear our cries. The giving of life could be said this way. Revival. The theme of revival and the giving of life has appeared all through this chapter. Verses 25 to 32 paints the same picture that we have here. Why? Because we are like buckets with holes and we forget. This evening be reminded that life comes from God alone. In verses 37, verse 40, 44, 88, 107, 149, the psalmist prays for revival of his soul. Where is your soul this evening? Have you come in, as the psalmist did, afflicted? Then cry on to God this evening for revival. The psalmist was dogged by the wicked. He had persecutors and enemies all around him. He had treacherous people speaking ill of him all the time. And what does he do? God, revive me. Give me life. And so this evening, no matter what our circumstances good, bad, or indifferent. We as God's people need to be reminded of who God is. And to do that, we're going to look at this stanza together under three headings. First of all, revive me because of my circumstances. Secondly, revive me because of my enemies. And then thirdly, revive me because I love your word. The psalmist again here cries out, Look at my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your word. It opens with a plea. It opens with God, or the psalmist asking God to help him. It's as if he's presenting his case to God before that divine arbitration. He is bold to ask because he has not forgotten the words of God. 
even in his affliction, even when his mind is being tossed to and fro, he is not driven away from the word of God. And in doing so, he cannot act contrary to his divine commands. It's the complete opposite of what we thought of this morning. A man who heard the word. And what did he do? He put it away and said no. Here, in the psalmist's deepest, darkest times, he remembers the word of God. You see, his obedience to the very law of God shows that he takes his responsibility with this great God serious. He's in a covenantal relationship with his God. At times when we are in those dark valleys, it's hard to know what to pray. It's hard to know what to pray for, what to say. One of the best things to do is to pray the word of God back to him. It's what the Puritans used to do if days gone old. It's something that we need to flame up in ourselves in these days to be reminded of the word of God and in our dark and deepest times to pray those things back to him. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Deep valley, side of a mountain, mountain top. Wherever you go. We cry out to God that he would be with us. We're reminded that we are weak. But that he is strong. These are the prayers that we cry unto God. Because look what he says in 154. After being asked to be delivered, it indicates a way that, could, that it could be accomplished. Plead my cause and redeem, redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. The psalmist asked God to be his advocate to plead his cause. And here he knows he comes before a great and a glorious God. He will be set free from these things if it's in the will of God. Plead my cause. Redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. I've been asked many times when I say those words to give examples. So, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, hear the word of God and his promises. What are they? You want to know the, the prayers or the promises of God's presence? Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. These are the words of God. They're not mine. They're His. 
when we cry on to God for forgiveness. We thought about it this morning, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God's love. Romans 8, go home tonight and read it, the whole chapter. But especially pick out those verses, verses 38 and 39. 1 John 4, 16, And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Jeremiah 31, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. These are the promises of God. These are what we cling to in our time of persecution. These are what we cling to when our children are lying in a hospital bed, ill and sick, when our loved ones are near the point of death, when we do not know what a day will bring forth tomorrow. Who knows? These are the things we cling to. Not the things of this world, but the things of God. The Word of God is full of promises not written weirdly or anything else, as some people would say, but they're written from God himself. And they're written for you. Saint, child of God, these promises are yours. Christmas morning is coming. And I'm sure your house is like mine where there's paper everywhere. There's boxes through all over the place. If it's clothing, it gets chucked over their head. They're not really interested in that. We get so excited for what these gifts are and, and what they contain and, and what, what we have before us. Brothers and sisters, what you have in your lap is the greatest gift that you could have. The word of a holy just and loving God who has given us promises for all of our lives in trials and tribulation in marriage and child rearing in being a, a godly father and a husband in being a wife he's given us instruction and he has given us promises to live our lives by his word is true his word is sure his word is what we as believers can rely upon. Secondly, revive me because of my enemies. Verses 155 to 158. 155 says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. The psalmist here, as it were, distance himself from the wicked. Salvation, he asserts, is far from them because they do not seek the word of God. They do not seek and they do not respond to the word that is preached. The wicked are those who 
who think the law of God is, is trite and they trample it underfoot and they do what we thought of this morning, what is right in their own eyes. Here the psalmist distanced himself far from them. This hardness is the way of the wicked. If they stay on this path, they will never find salvation. If they stay on this path, that terrifying judgment and eternal hell indeed are their destiny. Those who know the salvation find only in Christ must look to Christ to save them. Jude reminds us, as it were, snatching them from the very fire. This evening I ask, what path are you on? What road are you walking? The way of God and the way of his word? Or the way that we read in Jude 23, that fire, the one of hell, the one of destruction? You cannot be on both. You cannot dabble on, on the right path on a Sunday and pretend that you're something you're not and then on a Monday morning wake up and as it were, take off your coat and be something different. Saint, how are you during the week? How do you respond to your children and your kids? How do you respond to your work colleagues? How do you respond to those in authority over you? A lot can be said of how a man is on a Wednesday night. And I speak from experience. Midweek, tired, exhausted. And the child says something and as it were you blow off. You fly off the handle. It's not the way we should be. We should be those who are fearing the laws and the word of God. Because the psalmist affirms in verse 156 that God's compassion towards him was great. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Despite his faithfulness before God, he doesn't ask for God to answer because of his own merit, but because of God's mercies. God in his mercy does not give us what we deserve. We deserve hell and damnation. But instead, by his grace and his goodness, he grants what we do not deserve, and that is salvation and deliverance from those things. The very mercy of God upon us. He prays again that God would give him life, that God would revive him and give him true life. It is God and God alone that can revive us. If we plead God's word, if we pray God's word back to him, we find many reasons to ask indeed God to revive us. Spurgeon comments here, here the psalmist pleads the largeness of God's mercy, the immensity of his tender love Mercies many, mercies tender, mercies great. Brothers and sisters, we have a merciful God. 
A God who has saved many in this room this evening. A God who we can cry on to. Revive me because, not of me, but because of your mercies and your goodness. Because he goes on here to lament. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries. But I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. The psalmist's mind moves to the crisis surrounding him as so often it does. We can sit in here on a Sunday morning and the Sunday evening and the things outside of this world, as it were, they fade away. Until we say, go in the Lord's mercy and grace. And bang, the world hits us again. What do we do tomorrow morning when we wake up and those persecutors, those adversaries, those trials and tribulations are attacking us? What do we do? Do we pull the duvet over our heads? Do we stick our heads in the sand and and plug our ears in as if don't care what's going on? No. We go to God. We go to our great God. And we ask him to give us life, to help us even through adversities. We have no idea about persecution. Absolutely none. When you read of some of the trials that men and women are going through, even in far-off lands, even saying the name of God and off with her head. Here the psalmist looks around and it's as if he was in 360 degrees engulfed. His trials and tribulations were pouring in on top of him. But yet he remembers his God. He remembers, as it were, that moral compass that God had given him, the very laws, the very testimonies in his word. Tomorrow, when you wake, and the world, as it were, hits you up the face one more time, remember your God. Remember the goodness of God, the mercies of God, and remember his testimonies. In 158, he continues to distinguish himself from the wicked. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. The psalmist does not like these evil and disobedient people. He states the reasons why he's so different from these treacherous people is because he keeps God's word and they don't. This is not a works religion here, so don't think, well, if I know God's word and I I read it, then that's enough. No. He knows the God of God's word and therefore he keeps it. You see, the treacherous that we read off here, those that he looks upon with disgust, are those of their own reasoning, those of their own natural man. And as we read throughout all of Scripture, those natural men give in to natural tendencies, sin itself. Therefore, they were becoming more and more distinct. Look at the world that we live in. 
look at some of the agendas and things that are going around in our day. We mentioned some this morning. The gay right movement. Those who kill innocent babies in the womb. Those who want same-sex marriage. Those who think there's nothing wrong with the various sins that the Bible tells us is an abomination. They give in to their own desires. They have no loyalty to God. The only loyalty they have is themselves. And yet God can save them. God can take the wicked, the most wickedest person, and he can save their souls. Some of the people we see on our news and some of the people even in our own town, God can save them. He saved some of us. And as believers, we must have God as our anchor and God must guide our path. And God has commanded us in the New Testament to take that word to these people. We need to be obedient to God. We need to remember the laws and commandments of God. Why? Because when they get in our face and they spit upon us and they yell at us, we need God right beside us. This obedience is not legalism. This obedience is loyalty to our God. Because thirdly, in the last two verses, the psalmist has revival because he loves the word of God. This word love is the word hesed. It's one of the most precious and theologically rich words in the whole of the Bible. Such a blessing. In many translations in English, it reflects the steadfast love, faithful love, covenantal love, Loyal love, mercy, and loving kindness. Just think upon those words again. Steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love, loyal love, mercy, and loving kindness. The word described the faithful and loving care of the covenant people of God and their faithful love and return to him. And it occurs 250 times in the Old Testament. And it provides the basis for the psalmist's third plea for life and for reviving. He's laid out in 154, Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. In 156, he says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. 
and here. In 159, it's as if if we were ever in an orchestra and you have those big massive cymbals, it's where the psalmist at this point would clamor them together and he would say, steadfast love, that hesed love, that covenantal love of a great and a glorious God. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to what? Your steadfast love. It's in contrast to these enemies that we've thought about. These who are against the word of God. Here the psalmist is saying that he loves God's word and he wants to live it out in his life. He boldly professes his love for the word and then asks God to revive him. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. He prays again the third time, give me life. He clamors those symbols together and he says, give me life, not because of me, but because of your steadfast love. I love the rendition in the King James Version where it says here, Quicken me, O Lord. Quicken me. Give me life or quicken me to do what you have commanded. What a good God. Even though all the malice, even though all the adversaries, even over all that is happening in the psalmist's life, here he says, God, give me your love. His confidence is in God's new work in his life through him. It's based upon his obedience to God, but upon God's faithfulness to his loving kindness or that covenant love. That is yours this evening, dear saint. That covenantal love is yours. Whenever God acts afresh in our lives, it's by his grace. It's by his mercy. If you ever read church history and you read of revival, it usually comes at the darkest hour. When that awakening in England struck in the 18th century, the church was depleted. It was depleted by deism and the country of gin, as Spurgeon writes. And a few men prayed. And they sought God. And they petitioned God. And God moved. And God, through the course of history, that was changed through the preaching of men who were faithful to the word of God. It's God's loving kindness. It's, it's God's hesed love that will change us. God is a good God. A God who loves us. What's your trial this evening? What's your tribulation this evening? What is a problem that you have in your life? Perhaps it's 
worry of the economy. Perhaps it's worry of what may happen tomorrow. Perhaps you're having to make some pretty large decisions for your family. Perhaps you're wondering how to raise your family in these days. Perhaps you're wondering, whom shall I marry? As you do those things, remember something. Remember the love of God. Hard days, difficult days, remember the love of God. As you raise your family, you will not do it perfectly. In fact, you will ask for forgiveness quite a bit. Remember the love of God. Because in doing so, we're quick to forgive. Because he has forgiven us. When we walk through dark and difficult days, and even some who have children who are sick, they have family that are at the very precipice of death, what should they remember? The love of God. That Hesed love, that covenantal love. Why? Because it gives us life. It helps us even in the darkest of days. And the psalmist concludes with a key to revival in verse 160. All of these things can be drawn into this verse. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The sum, all of your word is truth. All that we have just read, all that we have read earlier, all that we have even read in the past week is true. It can be trusted. A half-hearted faith and a half-hearted preaching will never bring revival. We must believe the totality of God's revelation, which is both true and eternal. When the psalmist writes, the sum of your word is truth, he describes that Scripture is complete and in total fullness. It should not be added to, it should not be taken away from. All of God's word is true. Bridges would say the chief characteristic of God's word is truth. Everything God has said is reliable because he himself is the truth. The psalmist goes on to say, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Isaiah says the grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Isaiah the prophet and the psalmist were of one mind when it came to the enduring nature of the infallible and inerrant word of God. Not some of it, not most of it, but all of it. The entirety of your word is truth. 
God is forever. His word is truth. Therefore, God's word is true. Spurgeon says in closing, the scriptures are as true in Genesis as in Revelation. And the five books of Moses are as inspired as the four Gospels. What is true of the written word is equally true of the living word. The incarnate word. John 1 verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. He is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. God gives life, eternal life, to all who come to him. All who abide by the commands of God. Those who have given their lives to Christ in fullness. He has given us and made for us a promise. He loves us with a steadfast and faithful love that we cannot even grasp in our puny minds. Salvation may be far from those who love wickedness. However, dear saint of God, this evening, it is near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. And the Bible tells us we are to confess with our mouths. Dear saint of God, no matter what your trial, no matter what your valley, no matter what your hillside or your mountaintop, this evening I urge you, remember your God. Remember the goodness of God and all that he has promised throughout all of his scriptures. But read it. Don't merely pull your Bible open on a Sunday and try to get what you need for the rest of the week. We need to be in God's word each and every day. Why? Because we need reminded of the steadfast and the faithful love of our great God. This evening, do you know him? Do you know God as your Lord and Savior? Do you know anything of what we've spoken about both this morning and this evening? Are you like those that the psalmist said who have no time for the word of God? Then again this evening I urge you, be weary. Stop. Think. See a merciful God, a God who can save your soul. You cannot give yourself life. Only God can. Only God is the one who can give us salvation. It is God who gives us that eternal perspective. It is God who is preparing a place for us. I urge you to think upon those things this evening. Why? Look on my affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. 
great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We pray, O Lord, that we as your people would know you more in these days. Lord, forgive us at times when we think you are equal to us and at times even we may know better than you. Lord, we are nothing but dust of the ground. And you indeed are our glorious and our great God. A God whose love is so wonderful. A God whose love is covenantal. A God whose love this evening we can cling on to. Lord, we pray that as we remember this, that you, O oh Lord, would revive us. Give us life in these days. Even when trials and tribulations and adversities and many things come across our path, may we never take our eyes off you. May we look to the one who can help us in the trial and not the trial itself. And as we do so, O Lord, we ask that you would continue to care for us in the very palm of your hand. Encourage our hearts this evening. Encourage those who are downcast, Lord. Revive them. Give them life according to your word. May even this week as they open the Bible... May it be that tonic to their souls. For some of us, O Lord, who are perhaps not in those trials, but merely on the mountainside or the mountaintop, O Lord, use us to encourage those who are downcast. Give us an eye to see those who need our prayers and our encouragement. And Lord, give us opportunities, even this week, to speak much of you where you have placed us in our work, in our homes or wherever that may be. May we speak much of Christ. May we seek those who know you not and tell them the good news of Christ. That they too, O oh Lord, could know and grasp and have that steadfast love. Lord, we pray for those that know you not. Those that have sat under your word week after week. Lord, we pray, even as we were reminded this morning, that their conscience would not be diminished. But, O oh Lord, even tonight, that it would be screaming in them. That they would see their lost estate before you. That they would see how they stand before a holy God. And that they would run to you. Lord, before their head hits the very pillow tonight, we cry, we urge, we beg of you, O oh Lord, bring salvation. Save souls this very hour. 
And if so, Lord, may it be that we would give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, be near us throughout this week. Encourage us. Help us to be faithful. And may what we do and what we say and what we think be honoring and pleasing to you. For we ask all these things in and through your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.